So, hello, hello, hello. Welcome to this new edition of Mind Debates. This is Adit Kapadia coming to you on a. Uh, I, I'm I'm not going to disclose the time zones we are in, but we <laughs> we, we we are very pleased to have all of you joining us for that. Um, as you can see, we have an esteemed guest today with us. Um, for all of you who live under a rock and do not know who Mr. Mohandas Pai is, uh, I'm, I'm going to do uh, the very unenviable task of introducing him. But um, his, his vast resume speaks for itself. He's a publicity awardee and a former CFO and board member at Infosys. Um, he's also the co-founder of Akshay Patra, the world's largest midday meal program, which you guys might have heard uh, crossed a billion meals um, not too long ago. He he regular he works actively with uh, different agencies on policy recommendations guidelines and is someone's uh, is someone whose point of view on economics and various of the current affairs issues I always look forward to. So welcome to Mind Debates, uh, Mr. Pai. Pleasure to have you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And together with me on our MindMakers team is my co-founder Pramod Kumar Buravalli, and along with me is our sub-editor Ramaharita Pusarla, uh, joining it from Houston and Delhi respectively. So uh, without further ado, uh, I would like to kick things off. And Ramadita had a specific question uh, about the economy and stuff. So I'm going to give the floor to her first and then we'll jump right in. So, yeah. uh, thank you so much, Amrit. And uh, Namaste, Mohan Paiji. It's a pleasure Mohan. having you thank on you. Mindmaker Debate. Uh, the first question like uh, right away is about the economy. Uh, what do you think uh, or what's your opinion is the main reason or reasons for why India is uh, still lacking in that kind of a prosperity relative to other countries? Well, first of all, uh, we have to go back in history to find out what is what is happening in India. In 1825, India, China made up 45% of world GDP. The data is there. From the start of human civilization till then, they were the two largest countries because both had very large populations. They are a lot of artisans and the economy depends upon human skill and these artisans created exportable surpluses like so india exported textiles spices and other goods to many countries including rome 2000 years ago pliny the elder wrote that trade with india will impoverish rome because rome imported textiles and spices and had to give gold and silver to india so it was a rich country and that is why so much of invasion from outside, the British came to India. Hmm. Between, uh, uh, I think that the British rule, uh, Ursa Patnaik of University had an article that the total loot from India by the British in today's money is about $45 trillion. She developed a model, she has published it. I think somebody should read it and understand. And then we have Bill Durant who wrote the book called The Case for India. Hmm. And he said in 1857 and 1930, the British took away wealth equal to $450 billion in 1930 money. So we must understand this country, this was looted by the British, looted by many other people. While we had the Islamic invasion from Central Asia, they butchered our people, they converted people, they committed unspeakable crimes. They all settled in India. Not much of the wealth went out. But in the British rule, there was a drain of wealth from India. The wealth went outside. The Industrial Revolution of Great Britain, and also the empire was run on the back of the poor Indians. That's why you must read the book, The Case for India, written by Will Durant in 1930. You will understand the unspeakable brutalities of British rule. Yeah. We have a lot of colonial sepoys in this country who write about uh, the blessings of British rules. Yeah. I don't know how a slave can bless his, his slavery, yeah. but that's what the history is. When yeah. India became free in 1947, yeah. India 1.6 billion sterling of British money because we had two and a half million Indian troops fighting for the British in the Second World War, one and a half million in the First World War, and uh, <coughs> did not pay us, so we had this money. There's a sordid story about that. Maybe you should research and write about it. Metal is available, whereby they devalued the currency, didn't allow to convert it to dollars because the dollar was then the dominant, becoming the dominant currency, hmm. and the Became weaker and weaker, and the Nehru and the Krishnamanan misused that money to buy all kind of stuff India did not need, and that did not help India much uh, after freedom. So in 1950, after the Constitution came into place, Nehru embarked on his disastrous socialistic model. 
Nehru wanted to create a socialistic paradise in India, and because of the suppression of right capital, I have no nothing to say about his investment in the public sector starting everything. Hmm. And the only thing is that he suppressed private capital. So between 1950 to 1980, we grew at 3.5%. Right. 2.5. I'll just finish. 2.5%. Hmm. 1980 to 1990, we grew at 5.5%. Population grew at 2.25%. Hmm. 1991 till 2019 March, our GDP grew from 275 billion to 2.3 mm -hmm. trillion. 8.5%. 6% a year for 28 years in dollar terms. That's the background of all our growth. All right. India is growing and the reasons for our poverty are many. It will take another 10, 15 years for India to become a bigger economy. By 2030, around $10 trillion. $10 trillion. So today, the problem is how do we make sure that every Indian gets the necessities of life? No lack for food or water in the tap or power in the switch or a toilet in the house education for children and uh, reasonable prospects of a job, access to the internet, access to bank, etc. And in the last five years, Prime Minister Modi has made sure that all Indians, and almost all Indians have this, maybe 5-10% don't have it, and this is what is brought into power. So we are in a new uh, roadmap as far as India's growth, the future is And this 80% probability will reach $10 trillion by 2030. And within India, growth is very Disparate between states. Hmm. Uh, Tamil Nadu have a per capita income four times that of Bihar. Bihar is the biggest disaster in India. Their uh, gross endowment rate for education is only 13%. Tamil Nadu is 46%. Their per capita income is very, very low. They are one-fourth of what Tamil Nadu is. UP is coming up. The South is doing well. Population growth has come down. Fertility is 1.8. The North, UP, Bihar, Madhya Pradesh, uh, is coming along. Bihar is not doing well. West Bengal is doing reasonably well. Rajasthan is doing well. So India is now <coughs> a very disparate pattern of growth all across India. The, the reason why we wanted to ask that as the first question, Dr. Pai, is because the mentality of the government sometimes does not reflect in their um, policies. For example, Piyush Goel just yesterday made a statement um, saying that e-commerce companies cannot make blind profits. I think he meant to say that they cannot uh, you know, do fire sales on Diwali. They cannot uh, you know, cross a certain line. So sometimes Gandhian socialism of the BJP also comes in the way, uh, probably because of this thing they had on the suit boot ka sarkar, the kind of... Uh, um, that Rahul Gandhi did, are they wary of wealth creators? Are they, uh, are they shy of uh, people who are actually job creators and who are able to bring prosperity and, and seem to be uh, taking advice from them? What, what is your take? What is your observation? on my, that? See, my view is we are living in a political economy. You need to understand that there are four Indias together. The first India is 300 million people like you and me. We're part of the 21st century. We have good jobs, good income, good standard of living, growing. The next India is aspirational India, living in smaller towns who have high aspirations. The third India is a 19th century India, living in smaller towns, smaller villages, and they're just looking for sustenance. And the fourth India is in the tribal areas, remote areas, 300 million people each. And for them, survival is an issue. When you have to come to power, the great majority of Indians are coming from the bottom three categories, not the top category. You have to cater to them. You have to speak to them in a language they understand. You've got to do things for them. Now, you know, you have to change their mindset. You have to make sure the top 300%, 300 million people produce jobs. They are the wealth takers. You've got to encourage them. And there has to be a fine balance. In the last three, four years, I think the BJP lost the balance because Prime Minister Modi wanted to clean up the system. He wanted to go against people who use black money. He wanted to go against the crony capitalists. He wanted to do it. And there were many things that he did to shock the system, right from the demonetization, then to the IBC for bankruptcy. And then we had the RERA for real estate. And then we had the bank's uh, uh, NPA, NPA crisis. And then we had the liquidity crisis. Mm -hmm. We had the car industry going through reforms with Bara 6 for fuel changes. 
Then we have the electric vehicle policy. I think last four years, there have been too many shocks to the system. Yeah. And as a result, the system cannot take shocks. Yeah. And right. you, she's saying, reflects the political view. I mean, you talk about e-commerce, the challenge with e-commerce is many of the, the e-commerce companies do predatory pricing. Predatory right. pricing, they give 60%, 70% discount and get seven, eight billion dollars, which is good. They force many of the vendors to enhance the discount, try to have a clearance there, but they want to show them they don't have a sustainable model. Hmm. A lot of people who depend upon uh, the real retail for their livelihood and they're getting decimated. That the pain we have to go through as business models change. But in a democracy, you have to respond to the pain of people. Now, if you look at France, what did France do? France told you can't give a discount more than this. Right. Because the challenge in India is the battle between capital and labor. Mm -hmm. Huge capitalists come here, capitalists subsidizing the sales. They want a winner's take all. They want to drive away everybody, become the number, numero you know, and try to do wonders. And look at China. Alibaba ran the e-commerce business, but he did not do sales like this. Right. Mm -hmm. In such a large scale. And Alibaba makes money because they charge a fee. Whereas neither Flipkart, nor Amazon, nor anybody makes money in e-commerce. So there are some issues. And right. there are policies. the policy is very clear that uh, they can't do multi-brand retail because India is not prepared. We need time. They can do single point retail. And I think there are challenges. So I think we have to live with it. It is nothing to be afraid of. In a political economy, we have to live with it. For example, the United States, you've got Trump going after China. Yeah. Mm -hmm talking. You've got Trump doing all kind of things. You On know, a lighter note, uh, Dr. Yes. Pai, who is Trump not going after? That is the real question. I understand. <laughs> so, you know, we live in a political economy. The challenge is the same all over the world. Right. Nothing India is doing which is out of the way. Right. So, I think right. we should be critical. We need to understand. But let me tell you, I've lived in India hmm. all my life. Hmm. And India has grown. I've seen tremendous growth. We've seen the IT companies grow. Hmm. All companies have grown. I think I'm very happy with what is happening in industrial policy. It is just when we have a discussion. Yeah. So you bring up an interesting point because essentially what you're also trying to say is establishing infrastructure in multiple fields, like in multi-brand retail, we need to have a infrastructure in place. We, and, and then when we talk about infrastructure, we usually just reduce ourselves to roadways and stuff like that. But what I've seen is like in the last few years, infrastructure uh, providing that or creating mechanisms for the rural India, like you have the Ujwala, you have the schemes like, you know, what's happened in LPG, how the power situation has improved. That has also helped in the government getting power. So you think the first five years were spent on more like improving those systems and then the next five years are going to be more focusing on elevating um, in the people in the economic structure. I think that's a good point. My belief is Prime Minister Modi spent the first five years of his rule making sure that all Indians get the necessities of life. Yeah. Necessities, food on the table, a roof on the head, water in the tap, power in the switch, a toilet to the house, education for the children, a bank account, little money in the bank, yeah. and then an internet connection, a gas stove in the house. Almost all Indians have got it. Yeah. So they're not having the deprivation that is there. And that has made them strong, empowered them. That is good news. He also, India's economy more competitive by demonetization, having the IBC, RERA, putting in reform policies, big reform policies. But the issue, issue with that was there were too many shocks to the system. Hmm. Industry only takes so many shocks. And in a short period of time, when they've given them so many shocks, so many changes, they have lost their ability to change and they're all paralyzed now. Now, in the second five year term, we need healing. Yeah. For the next years, don't bring in any drastic remark. Heal address the problem, reduce interest rates, etc. You have down inflation, which is tremendous. The, we had 9%, 10% inflation with devastated people. But Indians do not know how to live an economy with low inflation. So they were 10% salary hikes. The 10% salary hikes was good when the 10% inflation. When you got 3.5% inflation, 10% is not possible. Mentality of people has to change. So I think this five years, he has made the right move by saying, we have to respect wealth creators. Hopefully, there will be some healing. There will be more encouragement. And whatever was done to clean up the system, the benefits are coming. Of course, right now, growth is low. And I can talk about that later if you, if you wish. Absolutely. Uh, to this end, what, should, uh, what necessary structural changes must be brought in to have that kind of a prosperity level pan-India? 
Well, I think let me let me start off by saying at the conceptual level, there are three kinds of capital that a country needs. First capital is physical capital like infrastructure. Second capital is financial capital. We need money for investment. And third is we need huge amounts of investment in all three. Hmm. In terms of physical capital, we have to build the roads, the ports, the airports, and we have to build the power plants. We have to do everything and be well on the way. And he has promised that he'll spend 100 lakh crores for the next five years. It is a stretch, but I think a lot of work is being done to the best of their ability and we're seeing good progress. In the terms of financial capital, we have a shortage. India has the capital to sustain a 7 to 8% growth rate. We need foreign capital from overseas. Government of India should borrow overseas at a time when uh, you know, interest rates are very low. Yeah. I mean, there are 18 trillion dollars of bond, government bonds with negative interest rates today. One third of all government borrowing in the world is going at negative interest rates. And I think Indian government should borrow 200, for the next five years, repayable over 20, 25 years to get the capital in. India is only getting foreign capital equal to 2% of GDP. 2% is not enough. We need to go to 3 to 3.5%. I think we can now absorb it. And that money coming in will lower the interest rates, reduce the cost of capital, and make Indian industry more competitive. Because to make industry competitive, we need to improve labor productivity. Labor productivity is a long-term project. We are much more productive in many areas than earlier. Then you've got to remove, improve capital productivity. Hmm. For improving capital productivity, you can't have cost of capital of 14%, 13% is very high. Hmm. American cost of capital is 78%. So American yeah. companies buy up all our companies because their cost of capital is very low. So exactly. capital between labor productivity and capital productivity and to reduce capital they reduce taxation on the corporate sector, they reduce inflation so that the risk premium may come down. Now they must ease up, open up the economy so the India risk comes down. And if our cost of comes down to let's say 10 to 11 percent, we will become competitive. So I think what they need to do is structural reforms to keep inflation down, make sure more foreign capital comes in, divest the public sector uh, so that they become more competitive and they don't go down the drain like Air India. Etc. And then uh, the barriers for trade with India by making sure that the supply chain cost with the 14% of GDP comes down to let's say 8%. Right now it will come down to with the GST. GST has been another big change which has been right. the system right. to live through it. I think a lot of these issues have to come down. And in the human capital area, they are giving autonomy to university. And uh, if you look at the article Nisha Kula and I yesterday in the Financial Express, you will see that SCST, SCST, OBC, and all these kind of groups, their gross enrollment rate has gone up. Mm. The last they've been tremendous. It's only the Muslim community which is lacking behind, but exactly. they've done very well in education. So I think we've seen an upsurge in education. You can say the quality of education is poor, but there are 3.5 crore young people in college. There is no country which can give high quality education to everybody. Even the U.S. are in the top 25%. The quality of education is mediocre. All of you know that. So I think you know we are moving along, along, along this. What we, need, what we need the most of all. One point. I'll just finish. What we need to the most of my view is Prime Minister Modi should call industry, should talk to them and assure them and restore confidence. Confidence is down. Morale is down because the rapidity of changes and the distance between government industry has expanded. So I do wish you'll call everybody, speak to them once a month or once in two months for the next two or three months, assure them, listen to them, and then the mood will change. Then we'll see the upswing come back again. I have always said that instead of Harvard, he should go to Dharwad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he doesn't have to go and, and find these noblemen sitting around and uh, you know doing poverty tourism of India all the time. He can find enough wisdom right there in India. Yeah? Uh, I want to segue a little bit into this doom and gloom scenario that everybody projects. Um, I know there are structural deficiencies, there are uh, course corrections that need to be made constantly. I think Nirmala has made a course correction with the lowering of the corporate tax. And, and again, there are many other changes that need to be made. Why is it that perception in the perception battle, especially the BJP, doesn't understand, and maybe Arun Jaitley was very good at this, that there is always this huge game that needs to play, be played at so, so many different levels, including the international level and also at the subterranean level. 
do these people understand the perception game they don't understand i think they don't understand they react in a very negative way to criticism which is very wrong look we are a free society people will be critical people will say what they want the politician's role isn't to everybody and do what he thinks he or she thinks is best you should not take panga with everybody for example piyush goel made the statement about uh, you know abhijit banerji winning that and you know oh but you know he's a good he's a leftist economist uh, you know nyaya has been rejected by people is unnecessary comment why make that silly comment if you have only said yes we congratulate abhijit he's done great work we appreciate his contribution leave it at that because people like you can be critical of abhijit you can dissect abhijit and see what he has done and what is not done that is fine but as a political leader you must play the role of a statesman not a combatant combatant will be the time of elections look at prime minister modi he does not make any controversial comment during the elections in the election yeah. the political person he will take on everybody he will go after everybody and he will win but after the elections he becomes a statesman he yeah exactly the ung address yeah, yeah see that is the kind of thing a good leader does i think all these people must learn not get into the unnecessary controversies because yeah in the media and everybody else the last left in the academic indian community in the us you see all of them writing about kashmir and others all of them sentences and create a narrative and create a, hmm. a, a environment which is very very negative for india because they want to destroy this government they don't like this government they don't like india prospering they want india to be poor so they can come winter birds and talk to the media and say what they want none of them have done anything good for india i mean i don't know what uh, amatya sen has done for india in a significant way he comes here every winter talks and he goes back mm. i wish he was here for 5 years and does some good work himself no so i think but, but i'll tell you doctor bhai one point to add on what you said about professor sen i have actually analyzed his interviews in the last 5 years because he comes around the same time and says the exact same thing and not one interview anyone has asked him about his mismanagement of nalanda university so they ask yes. him questions about everything else except his own track record of what he has done in india no no, no. there is a left you see in india you must understand because you are in the us i'm sure you understand yeah. there was a set of people who were in charge in india who enjoyed the fruits of being in power yeah, so politicians they were all like cronies mm-hmm. close to power nobody cares about them the media there's a tv channel which was run by a very good person pranoy roy i respect him very much but then when he got into income tax tangle and lot of us about this income tax problem there is tax terrorism in india there is lot of things happening he goes to the media and says because of the structuring that he did overseas to get in money which could be right to be wrong because they were questioning him is an assault on the freedom of the media how can you do business you do something which may not be right and you hold up how can that questioning be an assault on the media so they think they are in power and there's another journalist from there who goes to kashmir writes a kashmir diary and you know glamorizes quran oh, yeah. yeah. glamorizes them how can you glamorize this there's an academic from jnu who wrote an article today she goes to the maoists and makes the maoists hero the maoists are killers they killed people they butchered people they used the gun you should not support anybody who takes to violence whatever be the difference whatever be your view you must draw a line in the sand and say anybody who takes to violence is not acceptable in a civilized society and this academic goes and writes articles glamorizing the terrorists the jihadists in kashmir glamorizing maoists now they are all losing power they hitting back and the bjp should not fall into the trap Yeah, and no, absolutely. You have Arundhati Roy calling Maoists Gandhians with guns or whatever in 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 the past. And right now, actually, there is going to be a congressional hearing on Kashmir. There is going to be a panel where one of the professors invited, I think, Angina Chatterjee or something. She was a part of the Fai circuit. So, and people who don't know about Gulam Nabi Fai, I would urge everyone to read about it. But, um, Doctor Pai, I want to ask ask you about something something a little different on you know on the social side. You've been an institution builder, right, from Akshay. patra to a host of you know other institution so i i have to ask you about that you know serving a billion meals it's a terrific achievement so first of all many congratulations from all of us i know i speak from for the entire mind makers team we were very pleased to interview uh, uh, madhu pandit dasa ji a few months a few years back i think one or two years back where we did an email interview and at that time one billion meals was a goal 
to see that come to fruition in two years is three three years. Three, three billion meals. Three billion meals. Three billion meals. I'm sorry. Three billion meals. Yes, I stand corrected. So, you know, what has what has that experience been? You see, uh, it came at a very important point in my life in the year two, in 99 and 2000. Hmm. At that point in time, we had the Nasdaq lifting uh, the listing for process. I was the best CFO in India. Everybody used to come and meet me. But then when I looked at my future, I thought, what am I going to do? Yes. I'm a CFO. I've done a lot of work, Nasdaq listing and all that. So there has to be a sense of purpose in your, in your life. Yes. And the purpose has to be outside your work yes. uh, when you're successful. Yes. To me, when we went there, we, I spoke to Madhu Pandey, suggested he start a school. He said no. Then they made a meal. Then he said, give me two give me vehicles. We gave him vehicles. We started. We used to go every week. We ran it. For me personally, it gave a purpose in my life. It gave me a cause so large. I knew that my whole life can be spent and mm. can not complete the cause. But we could see progress every month. We could see progress every year. We could see the smiles of the children. We could see the children growing up. And we knew we are contributing to building our country, contributing to building our future. So it was something that was so very satisfying. So giving them money, giving them time, so getting people together, very enjoyable. And it gave a great purpose because I do believe that for most of us, we need to have purpose in life because, you know, we grow up, we build our careers then after we get married, we have children. After a point of time, life becomes routine. There is nothing new, more and more of the same. And after a time, you become an ATM for your children. ATM means <laughs> look upon you as a source. Yes. And, you know, then you and your spouse don't know what more to talk. Yes. You know, you together 15, 20 years. So you need have something to do outside your work, outside your family, having something like this, where you can spend your surplus energy, you can spend your time, was fast. So it's enriched my life, it's given me a purpose in life. And even today, I wake up with a lot of energy, wanting to change the world every single moment. I work very hard, I work on Saturdays, Sundays, I have a purpose in my life. So I think, you know, it has been very enriching and very satisfying. And the has been unbelievable. So I'm, I'm very happy. Before we move into the last couple of questions, I, you know, I would to use uh, merge and Indian in a Western phrase. Both uh, this is Mr. Pai saying he's found his dharmic calling. So I'm, I'm taking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I agree with you. I agree okay. with you we are we are in India. We are the land of dharma. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Word in any language for dharma. Huh. What is dharma? Dharma is the need to do the right thing for the welfare of society mm. and to discharge your duty and your obligation mm. because we are a part of a long chain of people who have been there. We'll be a part of a long chain that comes after us. We're a part of society. We play our role. And when we go meet our maker, when we all have to do, mm. we have to answer the question, what did you do with your life? And you must say, discharge my dharma. I did well for society. I've not hurt anybody. Mm. And good life and I'm happy with my life. So long as you can say that and you leave the world in a much better place by a direct impact and your conscience is clear, I think we'll leave a dharmic life and we discharge our dharma. Absolutely. Very another, well. another important thing that you are passionate about and I have been passionate about having uh, literally spent all of my summer vacations in Bangalore. My sister lives in Bangalore. Uh, is the issue of uh, um, you know civics, uh, civic sense, and the kind of planning that needs to be done uh, for larger cities? These uh, mid-level tier two, tier three cities do not have the kind of messy problems of a larger city like a Bangalore or Hyderabad. How do you see uh, with the now that BJP is ruling from Delhi to Gali, almost everywhere? Uh, there's no, uh, you know, sort of reason or excuse a BJP MLA or MP can give when they have their own corporator and they have their own mayor in power, right? I mean, you see, uh, Tejasvi Surya recently go and do a road show where he was trying to take into, uh, you know, the, the side, sort of the uh, BD authorities and uh, other uh, civic authorities to task. It's a very myriad sort of governance structure that we have in India. And it's very difficult to make changes happen as quickly as possible. What has your experience been that the, governor, the governors are neglecting? Are they not looking at basic stuff? Okay, let me explain. You know, I need to explain to you a little bit of context. Look, time of independence, political power was in the hands of the top 2 or 3% of India. 
who are mostly Western educated, participate in the freedom struggle, they came up through the Congress, right? And that's where we had the first government. Look at the names, you understand the background. Then at the end of the 1950s, political power started slipping from the Congress. It went down to the next level. They were the Zamindas and other people who, they were, who were deprived of land, the land was taken over, but they were the future laws, they came into politics and they started ruling. Then in the 1960s, India was a failed economy. We had, China had taken us to the cleaners, Nehru had ruined the economy, uh, we had near famine, we had no food, you know, people would have starved, and uh, Lynott Johnson, and then the US saved India, and then we had the Green Revolution. So 60s was a year of churn, and political power went, went a little bit below, went below that. 70s was the time of the OBC agitation, starting with the emergency, with uh, J. Prakash Narayan, where political power went down another 20%. And then in the 90s and later, the Dalit era, where political power went to the bottom 60% of society. So today, you see a situation in India where political power is the, the leaders of the bottom 60% of society. Hmm. The top percent are not in political power. They've been decimated, except in Lutian's Delhi. They're trying to come to power and do all the things in academia. And politicians respond to the electorate. So they're responding to the bottom 60% by giving them subsidies, trying to improve the quality of life, etc. And this bottom 60% will live in villages, small towns, not in big towns, and in the slums because they're poor. And when you do that, you create an urban-rural divide. Like Devekauda in here, create an urban-rural divide. It was anti-urban. When Sidramaya became a chief minister, first two years, they did nothing for Bangalore. So for all of them, take, take the resources and the taxes, the big cities like Bombay, like Bangalore, Chennai, and put into rural areas because that is where the vote base comes. Now, mm -hmm. as India urbanizes, as many more people have the internet, many more people become part of this community, the 300 million becomes 600 million, becomes 800 million. You have to respond to the needs of civil society in the cities. They're also understanding if the cities generate wealth, not the villages, and don't want to live in villages, they want to leave villages because they don't get the facilities. The children want to come to the city. They want good jobs. All these people go to the politicians and tell them they have to do something. So you're seeing the makeover happening in Bangalore. You see the makeover happening in uh, Bombay. Chennai also sees the makeover happening. Calcutta is a makeover happening. But the critical thing now, what is happening is there's a much larger civil society talking to political leaders in cities. They're more demanding. They're more questioning. They're going after them, talking to them, and they're forcing them to act. I think that's a good sign. In our cities, there should be an enlightened citizenry who talk to the political leaders, don't blindly vote or not vote, force them to do things, bring it to their views. The media is playing an active role. So civic engagement, civic activism is coming up in all the cities. And that hopefully will improve our cities for the better. And a lot of things are happening. And Modi has realized that India has to be an urban center because the world is 55% urban. China is 59% urban. India is only 40% urban. He started his smart cities. He started urban housing, everything. I'm sure in the next five years, he'll accelerate that with uh, what is happening with the metros coming up in all the cities, more housing coming up, infrastructure coming up. I think we'll see a sea change. But the key is India has transformed. India has gone through a cycle. Now urbanization has to be the solution for India. People in urban cities have to engage the leaders. Democracy is a two-way business, not a one-way business. So I think all these changes are having a positive impact. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, before, I, before I go to Harita for the last question uh, on the. So you can ask me. I'm, I'm free. I'm free for the next 25 minutes. Don't ask uh, okay. yeah. okay, okay. me. Okay. Yeah. But okay. before I go to Harita, I have to add something to it, uh, Mr. Pai. Uh, what you said about the urban rural issues, because it's, it's, it's an excellent point. I, so I'm from Gujarat and I did an analysis of why one of the major reasons why Congress does not come back to power in Gujarat. And about 40% of Gujarat is urban to semi-urban seats, which is about 70 odd out of the 180 that comes. And BJP has a 90-95% strike rate or almost 80-90% to 90 strike rate there. So Congress was not even in contest in there and they were not talking about issues that matter and stuff. And without that urban vote, there was like they can never come back to power in Gujarat. And that is a pattern you, I think, which will be going in many states as India becomes more and more urbanized, if you do not talk about issues that matter, basic infrastructure issues, you know, uh, you're not going to come to power. And a major example is the whole metro RA forest issue that's happening in Mumbai. And we're going to see what happens in it right now uh, uh, in the next week. 
but harita you had a question for mr Pai. yeah yeah just adding to what you have just raised like uh, recently we have seen like uh, half of the partner was submerged and even like uh, we have seen like uh, deputy chief minister and others making distress calls asking for rescue and all that so this reflects very poorly on our like uh, urban planning development infrastructure and things like there that. is there is no urban planning. Like, uh, there is no urban planning you are mistaken there is no urban planning is all gone the last 25 years our cities have been captured by the garbage mafia but the real estate mafia and the, you know contractor mafia bangalore we spent 600 crores on garbage garbage clearance we still have garbage in the street nobody knows where the garbage goes what happens to that and in the mafia every corporator we got 200 corporators 105 of them come from real estate they don't allow anything to happen unless they take bribes so i think this whole bribe culture has come so we have to break that only by enhancing uh, civic engagement there is no urban planning that's why we need civic we need the citizens to come ask for urban plan drains to be built etc so this pressure has to come only delhi has got good stuff primarily because that uh, there's a union government that of india is putting money delhi has got 350 kilometers of metro large part of it paid by taxes from the rest of india because the money union government has given the money and so i think we are in the course of very rapid change but more and more democracy is required, more civic engagement required, a better media is required, and hopefully it will improve. All around India, you're finding the same thing. People want to urbanize, urban areas are bad, they don't have infrastructure. And now, but the thinking in the government is also changing. It doesn't lie in the villages, it lies in the towns and cities. Because towns and cities are where wealth is created, not in villages. And, and don't you think, uh, legendary engineers like Mokshagundam Vishweshwaraya of today, there might be many, there might be people who are doing yeoman work, uh, building Sadar Patel statue or uh, designing aesthetic uh, features. There's also a requirement whenever I go into urban uh, conglomerations in India, you do not see the kind of aesthetics that are required for a modern, yet you are you're still uh, you know, having the ancient sort of infrastructure and architecture in place. Do you think that that's also an interface the government needs to create with private engineers or uh, architects that can bring much more value to the table? I totally agree because uh, the government architecture, largely the Soviet type box architectures that you see in Delhi, the government yeah. building, which I think will go down. They need to get better architects, have open competitions. For example, for the Vista in Delhi, the Modi government is asked for a global competition to develop the Vista again. Mark mm -hmm. did that. For the other, uh, you know, convention center, Pragati Bhavan, Pragati Maitan. Yeah. happening. Same thing should happen in in other places. I think Mumbai is leading the way. Mumbai, I think, you've got a very active chief minister. But the key is urban governance sucks. We don't have full-time mayors. In yeah. fact, right. we have a mayor who's changed every year. It's ridiculous. Nobody knows the mayor. The cities yeah. don't yeah. have employment. They don't have a tax base. So we have to improve urban governance. Right. We have governance in the center, we have the governance of the state, panchayats are there in villages. But urban areas have been deliberately neglected by the political leaders. They don't want good leaders to come up from here. So we need improvement in the urban governance of all our cities to rejuvenate cities. Once we have a full-time mayor, the mayor has a responsibility elected by the people. You see all the things that you said come there. Look at the US. Why is the US city doing well? Because you have a full-time mayor. Yes. Right. You have a they can raise their taxes and all of you go demand they want they respond to you because they have to be elected by you you don't have that is the biggest lacuna which we have to solve so actually that's a very fascinating point so i am i am actually prof by professional job other professional job i say is i'm an engineer who who does work in infrastructure and transportation so i i do see the contrast here when you talk about drainage over here you it would be horrifying to think about any project city project without a drainage and when you talk about mayor actually houston where we are based is going through mayoral election right now and right the issue and infrastructure issues i mean there is a dog fight out there between the candidates and no one knows like there is no corporator or nothing and there are actually a few of them are fighting as independents and challenging the mayor who belongs to a certain political party because it's straight it just becomes an issue so maybe that might be the next goal right if professionals enter into this into direct yep. who knows that 
that might be the next way for the the gentleman who is an independent candidate who is fighting against the incumbent was the mayor of a smaller city in Houston near Houston and comes qualified as an engineer yeah and he's a 70 plus uh, year old uh, i mean he, he's mm. he's a uh, uh definitely a, a much more experienced uh, person than the existing uh, mayor himself so it's a very sort of refreshing uh, dynamic that is developing in Houston itself yeah um yeah but uh, you must remember that uh, democracy in the us is bottoms up democracy in yeah. india is down top down yeah because so, after the british left they handed over to another uh, hegemon so yeah. hegemony of the center uh, top down and you must remember that uh, we follow the british model where the people fight the sovereign to get some rights which are defined in the constitution in america the constitution defines the role of the government limits the role power of the government rest of the power is with the people so the very right. what we need is more devolution of power to the cities to the towns so urban governance improves that the last leg of the political reform that has to be done hopefully the modi government will push it through the congress had to do that in the 78th amendment when the rajiv gandhi was in power it helped the villages and villages today hopefully will be much better they become more corrupt but hopefully they'll be much better but the towns are the big lacuna and that is where i think the next 5 years the modi government has to focus and people like you should write about it and educate people too absolutely no and when you said uh, you know bottom up democracy and like uh, limiting the role of the government when there were four or five congress uh, men and women in us who talked about socialism the strongest condemnation before from the before it could come from the right came from the left the democrats yes. said america will never be a socialist yes. country <laughs> that should tell you the way it is But I want to talk to you, uh, Mr. Pai, about the the whole concept of ecosystem, right? We talk about setting the narrative, setting the agenda, and um, India has seen a so we've we've had sixty five years of a Nehruvian ecosystem. I, I use that term very carefully because essentially that's where it started from. And then under the Indian <laughs> era, it just increased. We, we we are not living in India. Why are you being careful? I don't understand. Why are you being? No, careful? no, no. I'm saying I'm using the term carefully because I'm I'm connecting it to the fifties. But I'm pulling your leg. <laughs> I know. <laughs> But last five years with the government change and stuff, do you see their space being made for a different ecosystem, or do you see the challenges still being there, what they were twenty years ago or fifteen years ago? You see. Uh, the narrative has been captured by the left and left of center and they have prospered mm-hmm. when india became free there were different kinds of narratives in parallel but nehru consolidated power and only promoted people who had the same kind of views mm-hmm. nehru's economic policies were a disaster for india because it did not grow mm-hmm. and we know what happened uh, to uh, india in the late 60s because of his earlier policies when we had almost no food agriculture was devastated etc then we know what happened with china yeah. uh, i think the same kind of narrative was carried forward by indira gandhi's daughter mm-hmm. so both of indira gandhi's sad demise i think in uh, 1984 till a sad demise we had the left and left of center and we know that when indira gandhi came back to power around 1970 the left supported her we had professor nurul hasan as a uh, education minister who only gave appointments to leftist academicians in all institutions and made whole academia left really deliberately done now after that we had reforms but even in the congress era congress is largely left ideological and uh, that idea is gone they control freaks they want to control their intellectually arrogant they don't want to listen to people that is the culture that's why they worship one family and they still want a young very confused man not a young middle aged confused man to lead them <laughs> who just doesn't know what to talk what to do how to lead because that's the way they are and all their advisors are not people who can win elections on their own they're all rasa sabha members in the disaster mm. and we feel bad about it but i think when the right comes and uh, the bjp is much more to the right mm. right they have to have many more intellectuals talk with the world view which is modern mm. the intellectual base of bjp unfortunately is small town buddhijivis who have a very small myopic view based on the past they don't have enough people with a modern view what is required for india in the next 15 years india is part of the globe the globe is changing this technology disruption massive changes shift of political power from the west to the east we seeing the rise of china rise of india rise of india rise of asia 
what should india do how should india have its own how should india develop our economy how should india develop our uh, intellectual narrative what should be the use what should be india's history how should india history be rewritten to give indians a real feel and not make them loathe their history and make them worship all the people who came from the islamic countries they are great people how do we change all this we need intellectual kshatriyas like rajiv malhotra keeps saying we need lot more people to come and write we need to have intellectual debates it is happening in a big way there is much more honesty in debates now right. ideology has come down more and more opinions are coming and social media has revolutionized and changed everything it's social media that has changed everything for example the fact that i'm speaking to you you'll put it on the web thousands of people see it sees right. the power of social media without that even if i speak to you put the recording there's no media for them to see so i think this tremendous change is happening but we need more intellectuals to take charge for example the politics that you and i need in india is we have to be socially liberal economically conservative the congress was socially liberal economically you know rigid right very left now the bjp is socially illiberal and economically conservative but what we need is socially liberal economically conservative is good to have the hindu point of view is good to make sure the majority gives majority you know population has his rightful place but we have to understand we are a constitutional democracy where everybody has equal rights we have to create a feeling of respect for the constitution respect for everybody's right and the way how we can settle our differences without being to hatred or anything else so we need to have a dialogue where people are full freedom but we live together as indians we have an individual identity we work to promote that identity but where the conflict points things are resolved and all of us can live peacefully so we can one sided the narrative here the congress had a one sided narrative now we want a one sided narrative the other way we need a grand narrative oh yeah with everything into account even when we look at the uh, narrative that uh, after the abrogation of article 370 uh what we have seen in the united states is the ratcheting up of uh, an absolute uh, you know euphoric sort of narrative that was built by pakistan and its cohort against india and then slowly india started reacting and then it took its uh, time to react in a very uh, you know objective fashion and that's that's good we have at least been able to position ourselves as a uh, a, a, a country that has been wounded and we have a, a point of view to express but like you rightly said it has always been reactive is that because we are a wounded civilization you don't see that kind of uh, newer sort of uh, content that gets developed this there's, there's always a reactive sense uh, very docile and reactive sort of uh, way to handle everything including diplomacy i think uh, india is unsure uh, the government of india is very unsure of its place in the world today modi has said very the fifth largest economy in the world third largest in pdp we have a role to play etc and is building india has one of the great powers the world is also realizing india will be a 10 trillion dollar economy by 2030 india will have its role but india is not a hegemon like china china is a hegemon right. india is a peaceful country and india also india has got lot of internal challenges it does not want to project its power outside except to make the world better and i think that's what prime minister modi is doing for that we need to have a strong economy the china is what it is today because economy is very strong they have four exactly. reserve largest exporter largest importer they can impact they spend a lot of money in the military we don't do that we just emerging so prime minister modi is buying the world giving india as role developing the economy now within the economy we have to grow it we have to make sure there is no deprivation we have to make sure that everybody has a decent quality of life their wants and needs are met then we also need intellectuals we need writers we need filmmakers who have a pan india view not the leftist view of loathing for the rest of the country that arrogant intellectual view that they have all the answers they have the solutions but a much more considered view to push the indian narrative of what indians think of themselves rooted in the soil who is this indian what are the indian thing what are the indian point of view and the dharmic point of view is what we have to project to the world we need many more people now we need hundreds of people like you who run media who talk to people we don't have enough capacity the capacity has to come up for that there has to be investment lot more people should talk lot more people should start writing i think is happening 
And I'm happy to say today we are much better than what it was five years ago. Hmm. Just now, yeah. there is a book on Savarkar. Now, yeah. the left doesn't like Savarkar. Indira Gandhi Savarkar. She didn't find anything objectionable. She was a child of the you know, freedom movement and she knew what Savarkar did. Now, these leftists and these uh, small guys in Delhi, Lutheran Delhi, want to abuse him, want to praise him, and want to throw tar over him. And Vikram Sapa has written a beautiful book based on research which speaks about the truth and what Savarkar did. I think that is symbolic of how India is becoming a much more diverse narrative, proud of itself, rooted in the soil, asking itself what is identity and wanting to project instead of being insecure and trying to, trying to ape the West. Yeah, and then, let then, me ask you a very personal no, question. Prabhu, I have to add a point yeah, before you yeah. before we get into that. That what uh, um, Mr. Pai said about you know this changing narrative is very important. And then when you talked about uh, Rahul Gandhi, the interesting point, and I wrote about this earlier that. that the dichotomy in Congress is that the old Congress card, which is in the Rajya Sabha, want Rahul to be a variant of Rajiv or Indira Gandhi, but Rahul Gandhi himself wants to be Justin Trudeau. And in between that fight, he's becoming neither. I think he's very confused. He's not sure of himself. I don't think he wants to be in politics. He wants to go out and have fun. Yeah. Okay, goes travels out to have fun once in a while. He's unmarried, and I think it just doesn't. It doesn't have it in him. I mean, you can know that he doesn't have it in him. I mean, the youth don't like him. The youth don't like him. They boo him. Yeah. You yeah. follow him. I mean, if you're a, he's not young. He's 48. 48 yeah. is middle age. He's yeah. not young anymore. But he doesn't have a following anywhere. He's very well behaved, very handsome. But that is it. <laughs> let me let me ask you a personal question. Yes, uh, And this is my uh, sadhana in my nitya sadhana and my study of uh, itihasa and puranas. Every time India has come to a juncture like this, where there are intellectual kshatriyas fighting, there are sattvic leaders, there are there is a benevolent ruler, you still need a philosophical underpinning. You need a, a darshana. You need some sort of a architecture to be presented by somebody who is away from these chaos. He does. He is aware. He or she is aware of the chaos, but can provide a solution or a template or an architecture that we all can follow for the next two, three hundred years. Do you see anything like that in the horizon? Are you aware of such a thing in the offing or are, what's your you thought? See, see we, we need a kind of person who is global. All right. Not very Indian, not Indian, but global with a global point of view. We need a person who can speak in English, who can speak in the local language and who's wedded to our Itihasa and our Pranas and our Dharma. We need a person rooted in the soil. If you look around India, I agree. We need a philosopher. We need people to talk about India. To me, there are two people who can come up in the future. You know, Sri 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 and uh, Sadhguru. Mm. Sadhguru is recent following Sri Sri Sri. Why am I saying that? Because both are global. Both travel overseas. They got a following. They have a point of view. They're articulating. Now they have to become bigger. Now, do you find anybody else in the north of India doing this? No. Mm -hmm. right. We don't have people. There are people uh, who have who are in Rishikesh and others who have their own following. They have to grow up. I think we need about 10 to 15 spiritual leaders who can rise up, who can talk, who are like the Rishis of old. And right. among the two or three Rajgurus will come or, you know, uh, they will come and they will emerge. But the key right. thing, very important to me is young people are getting more wedded to their culture. Young yeah. people finding solace in their own culture. They're not aping the West. They're not right. insects anymore. They're fighting for their role as proud Indians. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Are, very proud, are getting more and more proud of being Indians. They, they know, and that to me, because they are brought up with all the necessities of life, they don't lack anything. They've got a yeah. good education. They travel around the world. They've been around, and they're a very self assured generation. Once they become dominant in the next 10 years, because this is a result of the, last, of the opening of the economy. So they are the children of liberalization. Once they become dominant, they grow up, they get to their 30s and they make a little bit of money or they inherit wealth. You see a very different India. And I think that's happening in a very big way, you know, cities, in you know, small towns. Yeah. And uh, what do you think that like uh, we should have in place to have more people like that, like uh, people who feel that kind of a belongingness to India, its civilization and take pride? Because all our academics, everything is like... Uh, I think we need more people to write books, more people to speak about it, more videos, more discussions, and more debates. 
Absolutely. You have to draw out people. Yes. To make a statement. You have to draw people to think. Now, the good news is there's a lot of video material there on many issues like this, which people are seeing. Yes. Oh, yeah. That yes. are happening. There are so many things happening. Content is being generated and a lot of having a lot of following, which I think is a tremendous thing. You go back five years, it is not there. Now oh, it's yeah. there. You will be surprised the videos of Sahana Singh Rajvedam. <laughs> Rajvedam just talks about Indian astronomy. And he was in conversations with a gentleman who is a Mayan, um, um, I would call him a shaman. Uh, and they were trying to correlate the Mayan calendar, the codex that they had with the Indian uh, cosmology. Can you believe these kind of conversations are in the offing? It excites Very me good. to know and with these uh, things that are in the offing. But, 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 but before we wrap up uh, on this, you know what uh, Mr. Pai said, maybe this yeah. The age of the assertive Indian, you know, who's no longer in awe of the white man. Not that it was that the case, but that was a perception that was built. And what Mr. Pai said, now the Indian has traveled across the world and is more assertive about his identity, her identity, you know, and this is what it is. And we're taking the narrative forward. So in the next 20 years, maybe that's what we're going to see as a new generation comes in. Let me give an example. Yeah. I'm a of India's independence. I was born after independence in the late 50s. Okay, 58. I'm 60 now. Now, when I was growing up, India was not rich. We were very poor. We didn't have much. And we always heard stories about the white man ruling, what the British did, why Indians are corrupt, all kind of stuff. Out of a very insecure era. Then we went to the 60s, we went through the emergency, we went through the past. We were very poor. When we went outside, people spit on us, people made us white, they told us we are poor. The Rail India Consortium gave everything. Till 1991, when India opened up, then the IT industry bloomed. And I was in the IT industry. We built the industry. They used to abuse us, call us uh, cyber coolies, call us body shoppers and all that. We built the industry, the industry in the world now. And now my children have got a good education. They've grown up well. They have traveled. One of them has got an overseas education. They're very self-assured. They travel around the world. They're very confident. They hold their, they hold their own anywhere. And... Uh, in the venture capital, they built up a team of people who are very self-confident, who are assertive, mm. and they were good. That is the generation that will dominate India in the next 10 years. And that is what will show the world what India is. And, and there is a, a, a generation that is also growing outside of India. My own daughter refused to wish her, class, her uh, classmates a happy Columbus Day. She calls it happy Indigenous Day. Correct. You can believe Correct. there is a very, very decolonized generation... Yeah. Very decolonized generation that is growing outside of India as well. Yes. That will be supplementary to this leadership. But the only thing is they must retain the links with India, understand India's Correct. culture, have a pride in the country. That link should not Correct. be broken by the leftists who are trying right. to oh, yeah. with California and other places Correct. where they want to abuse uh, the majority community. Yeah. And uh, what do you, it, uh, Min, uh, sorry, uh, Min, what, what do you think is the, the last, oh, sorry, last yes, question, last question, go ahead, go ahead, absolutely go going to last be the last one, question. yeah, uh, um, Min, what do you think has paved way for this kind of an Indian assertiveness? Well, what has paved way is one, the rise of Modi, okay. Modi reflects the aspiration of the majority community because Modi unified the Hindus and gave them assurance and gave them confidence. And Modi made sure that there is no deprivation among the large mass of people. He has given them hope. He has been a very honest political leader, destroyed, destroyed uh, clique and the cronies and the crooks and the black marketeers and the corrupt elements and shown India what he can do. It is a very simple life. That's very important. Second, India's economic growth. India's economic growth. India is much better off. We have a very big middle class. They're seeing incomes and a new generation of people coming. The tech industry the startup industry, and the fact that we have a very large overseas community like you people who are done very well and who are now taking pride in India, interacting with India, working more with India, and Modi going abroad and doing all that has come together. And then the decline of the West, Europe's decline, China's rise, you know, Trump coming there and speaking will make America great again. The people understand America had gone down in the Obama era and before that, now Trump wants to make it great again. I think all has come and, 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 and largely the rise of the internet and the social media where people can communicate. There's much more honesty. All the dishonest narrative fed us by the media has uh, been challenged. And the rise of Annab Goswami and uh, Republic, where Annab 
bashing the policy. So many things are happening. All this is combining to give Indians pride in the country, pride in themselves, and hopefully we'll make a better future. But to make sure we remain an inclusive society, we don't allow people who have hatred for anybody to dominate, and we enjoy the constitutional rights and treat everybody as equal citizen of India. Yeah, I, I think it's only fair that we talk when we talk about the assertiveness of the Indian identity abroad. Abroad, that we are broadcasting from the same place where three weeks ago a huge event, Howdy Modi, just happened, which was exactly <laughs> a summation of what Mr. Pai was talking about. Ninety-minute cultural program, then yeah. prime ministers and the president sharing the stage. But we appreciate so much, uh, Mr. Mohandas Pai, for you taking out the time and interacting with us on a variety of issues. Uh, I'm sure there were about 25 more questions that we all wanted to ask. We'll talk again. We'll talk again. We'll talk again. But thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Really thank you, sir. Thank you. And for everyone, please stay tuned. Uh, we'll, we'll have the whole video and the audio as a podcast as well. And thank you thank once you. again. We'll be in touch. Thank you, thank you very much.